it is really good to be here in St. Nick's. Uh, we at Metro, we're huge fans, we're big cheerleaders of St. Nick's for many reasons. But uh, a new one tonight, you have such fat bass. Uh, that subwoofer, I nearly went into cardiac arrest during the alpha video. It was just off the chart. I'm like, these guys do not mess around. They, they are really serious about this stuff. Listen, we've heard a story about Zacchaeus. I want to take just a few moments. Now, I don't know whether you are here as someone that is very comfortable in church. I don't know whether you're here as someone that is kind of on the edges, on the outside, looking in. I don't know whether you're watching at home and you've got your reservations about Christianity, or maybe you got burnt. Some of you, you're here and you're just finding your way back into faith because things kind of got knocked a little bit off kilter over the last few months. Maybe your faith took a little bit of a hit, a little bit of a battering. And sure, you can come to church and you can do the stuff, but you know that you've lost a little bit of ground. You feel like God is not so close to you. Or it may be that you're here with a friend and someone's brought you and uh, you're looking. You're looking for something. You might not know exactly what it is, but you kind of know that there is something missing. That even though you have everything that the world says that you need this to have a good life, it's not quite hitting where you are. We get told that if you can have all these things, then you'll be happy. You get told that if you do well at school, uh, if you get great grades, if you get a great place at, at university or college or an apprenticeship, if you get a good job, a great job, if you get uh, lots of money, you can get a, a big house, you can get a big TV, you can get a big wife, you can get all these things. We're told that this will make you happy, and yet for so many of us, we go through the things that we're told to do, and it doesn't lead us into a place we are looking. This is a story about a man who was looking, a man who was looking for something, a man who was looking for something with such urgency and such passion, a man who was searching and seeking, not passively, but with a sense of urgency. Looking, looking, looking. And so many of us, we can identify with parts of what Craig was saying, that you can have this vision and idea about faith and about God, and you can have all kinds of things in your backstory, and yet there's still something in your heart that is hardwired for the ethereal, for, for the divine, that, that says there's more to life than iPhones and Ikea, that there's more to life than just Celebrity Love Island, that there's a part of me that's looking, looking, looking. There's a part of me that is searching. And this man, Zacchaeus, he has an encounter with Jesus. Now, if you've been brought up in church, you may have heard about Zacchaeus before. I was brought up in church. They taught me about Zacchaeus from being a kid. And I knew the story very well, but I, I realized that I didn't understand the fundamental core of that story until fairly recently, because it all revolves around one word. There's one word in this passage, one word in this story. It's a word that Jesus speaks to this man, and it changes everything. Spins him around on his axis, a total 180 degree turn, like Craig said, the biggest U-turn in history, one word, and it's easy to miss it because unless you dig underneath the story, you don't understand the import of what's going on. Because in order to understand about Zacchaeus, you've got to understand his context. You've got to understand the background. You've got to understand what his whole deal was. When Luke, the doctor, one of Jesus's uh, later followers, is, is writing this stuff down, he says that Jesus was passing through 
Jericho. And he was, he was passing through it. It wasn't supposed to be a stop. He's literally on his way to Jerusalem. It's what we call the triumphal entry. We celebrate Palm Sunday because this is the day where Jesus' mission and ministry on earth comes to its greatest public focus, where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people lay down palms in front of Jesus. And he's ushered in as the Messiah who was to come and to bring salvation to people. So he's passing through Jericho. And Jericho is the most affluent part of Palestine at the time. It's fertile. It is an incredible place. Herod had a summer residence there. It's a place where you're well healed and you're well off. It's the kind of, I don't know what it is. It's the, the Abbot's Lee of the, the biblical time, the place that we all aspire to maybe get to be there one day. And Zacchaeus was there. And the Bible says he's a chief tax collector. Everyone say chief tax collector. Yeah, it's okay. Let's try that again. Everyone say, chief tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, not just a regular tax collector. There's loads of tax collectors in Scripture, but Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. What does that mean? Well, it means that he has essentially the franchise for collecting taxes in that region. The Romans, the great military might of the Roman Empire, what they would do is they would, uh, they would come and they would invade you and then they would conquer you and then they would subjugate you and then they would give you the bill for the whole thing. And you, as an occupied um, part of the Roman Empire, had to pay taxes to support the upkeep of the very army that had its boot on your neck. It was a, a brilliant system. And to make it even worse, to add insult to injury, they made people who were Jews and members of Israel themselves, they made them collect the taxes. And so what would happen is a tax collector would collect taxes on behalf of their hated Roman oppressors. And because they would be ostracized by the community, their testimony was not acceptable in a court of law. Any money or gift that they gave to the poor was thrown right back in their faces because we don't want your stinking grubby money. And because they were in that position, the Romans said, well, you know, you can, you can compensate. If you're going to be thrown out of the community, then you can take as much as you like. We don't care how much you charge people as long as we get what we want. And so it was this big racket, a big Scam And tax collectors would collect as much as they wanted, and then they would give the Romans their cut, and then they would live fat off the rest. And what Zacchaeus was as a chief tax collector was he was someone that had got the franchise for that particular region, that part of the nation. And he had the Jericho franchise for tax. Zax's tax. Zach's tax. Doesn't really work. But he had that whole thing. And so he was controlling, he was running. He's like the, the kind of the gang boss running these collaborating, ostracized tax collectors. And it all flows upwards. They take their cut, he takes his cut, and he grows fat of the misery, the oppression, the brokenness of others. No one gets to be a chief tax collector without roughing a few feathers. There's people, there's blood on his hand. There's people that have been thrown out of their houses, that have lost everything. There's women that have ended up in prostitution, destitution. There's kids that have been sold into slavery. 
And he is at the top of the tree. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector and he is hated. And yet here is a man that despite all the wealth that he has and despite all the position that he has, despite the fact that he's set for life, there's something in him that hears about Jesus. And he knows that there's no way back for him into Jewish, Jewish faith, into the, the faith of his fathers. He knows that there's no way for him back into the community. And yet something about Jesus captivates him. I don't know how many of you here wouldn't necessarily call yourself Christians. You're not necessarily church people, but you're captivated by Jesus. Many people that I talk to, they say, I don't know about organized religion. I don't know about Christianity, but Jesus, yeah, Jesus is cool. Jesus is, is the kind of person that is just compelling when you hear the stories and, and all that stuff. And, and so many people that have been impacted in, by him. And by the fact that we live in the year 2021, symbolizing 2021 years since he was born. He had that kind of cataclysmic impact on planet Earth. And Zacchaeus wants to know Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. And so he finds himself in this sycamore victory. He climbs up because he's a small guy and he can't see over the crowd. But there's some compulsion in him. I know that there's something missing. I know that there's brokenness and there's, there's wrongness in my life. And I want to find out if Jesus is who people say that he is. And Jesus, coming with this crowd, and they are now numbering in the thousands, more and more, pilgrims on the way up to Jerusalem. He comes to the point where Zacchaeus is. He sees a little B&Q stepladder, and, and there's Zacchaeus in the tree. And he stops. You imagine all the crowd just coming to a halt, people ramming into one another as the whole thing creaks to a halt. And Jesus says that one word. That one word. If Jesus said this word to you, it would change your life. And this is a word that changes the life of Zacchaeus in a way that he will never, ever, ever turn around from. He looks up at him, and it's just one single, simple word. Zacchaeus. He says his name. He says his name. When I first used to hear this verse, I just thought, well, that's really cool because Jesus knows his name. And how did Jesus know his name? How did Jesus know who he was? That's amazing. He's the son of God. He's got a hotline to heaven. He can know someone's name before he's even met them. That's really cool. But I was missing the point. I hadn't grasped what was happening in that moment. You see, there's a thing about names. There's a thing about names in Scripture that names are really, really significant. Now, in our culture, we just give people names for whatever. We, we like someone, ah, oh, Scarlett Johansson, you're Scarlett. And they're stuck with that name. Uh, it's a nice name or whatever. But in the days that these guys were living, first century Palestine, names had meaning. People were named like battleships are named. We name battleships because they're supposed to be something, stand for something, represent something. We call our battleships things like HMS Fearless, HMS Invincible, HMS Dauntless. And uh, they're supposed to stand for those things. You don't go around calling a battleship HMS Terrified. Uh, you don't call the battleship HMS Dubious Use of the World's Resources, actually. You give the ship the name that it's supposed to embody. And in Jesus' time, 
People would give you a name. So there's a, a father and a mother, and they cradle this new child, and they look at this new child. Before it's eight days old, they say, you, my child, are going to be this. This is your name. This is your birthright. This is your destiny. This is how we see you. These are our dreams for you. You're going to be Matthew, God's gift, or whatever it may be. And when Zacchaeus was named, he was given a name which is so incredible, so powerful. And when you hear the meaning, it is absolutely incredible. Because the name Zacchaeus in the original language means pure. Pure one. And over the years, Zacchaeus had worn his name like an ironic rebuke. Because here was a man that was far from pure. Here was a man that had oppressed and beaten down those that were most in need. Here was a man that had turned his back on everything that was good and right and holy and pure. Here was a man that had so thoroughly lost his identity, what he's supposed to be, how he was supposed to live, all the dreams, all the hopes, all the expectations. And he's walking through his life and on many on many counts, by many metrics, people will look at him and say, he He's got it together. I, I can't look up to him. I can't respect him. I can't admire him. But, but I do revere and fear what he has become. He has such power. He has such clout. He has such wealth. He has such, such resources that most of us can never dream about. But Zacchaeus walks through life and he knows I'm not what I should be. I have lost myself. I am not what was dreamed of. I'm not what was hoped for. I've gone so far off course. And when Jesus stops and sees him, he says, you're Zacchaeus. You're the pure one. He says, now you're going to come down or am I going to have to stay here all day looking up at your loincloth? I want you to come down. And he says this, he says, I must stay at your house today, which is a social faux pas. You do not invite yourself to someone's house. And if you're going to go to someone's house, you don't go to the house of a guy with blood on his hands. Because what you're doing is you're endorsing his lifestyle. You're ratifying his choices. You're slapping the faces of every person that's been abused and oppressed and swindled and broken and whose lives have been ruined. You're spitting in their faces. You're saying, hey, I side, side with this guy. This guy and me, we are together. It is just unbelievable. He says, I want to come to your house. And all the disciples are saying, uh, Lord, we, we have the triumphal entry. Uh, it's, it's Luke 19. We're, we're nearly at the end of the chapter. We've got to get this thing going. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you know what? Um, I'm going to be having a series of meetings in the temple courts <laughs> over the next week. And uh, do hope we can count on your support that you'll be there. It's going to be a little bit wild, a bit fractious, the Pharisees. <laughs> hey, he doesn't say that. He says, listen, nothing else matters. I don't care about the rest of my schedule. You are the most important thing to me. Zacchaeus cannot believe the grace of this man, Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus just cannot comprehend. And he does the only thing that he can do. You see, when God calls you, the only thing that you can do is to come. 
The only thing that you can do is to take that step. And Zacchaeus is walking with Jesus, and he's thinking, I'm walking with Jesus. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know where this is going to end. But now he's in my house, and now he's right close to me. And I had the idea that God was supposed to be way off, that he was disengaged and disinterested. He was a remote God way up in heaven, and now the Son of God is here in my house. And as a result, he changes everything. He says, I'm going to give everything uh, away to the poor. I'll give back four times the people that I have, uh, that I have cheated and, and ruined their lives. I don't care about that money because I found Jesus. And Jesus has enabled me to find myself. I, I was always supposed to be pure. This wasn't supposed to be my life. This wasn't supposed to be what I lived for. How many of you find yourself in situations and you think to yourself, there's that dark voice in your head that says, I wasn't supposed to be this. This is not what it was supposed to be like. I wasn't supposed to be in these situations. I wasn't supposed to be the person that acted like this. And Jesus says, it's okay. I don't mind. I don't care. I just love you so much. I'm just so passionate about you. And I want to, well, what is the word? The word is salvation. He says, this day salvation has come to this house. When we invite Jesus in, when we open Jesus, the door of our heart to let Jesus in, he brings us back to who we're supposed to be. A while ago, I was preaching at a church. In fact, it was their Alpha Supper. It was an event where they put on so that people could hear about Alpha and think about Alpha. Because basically, if you want to know what Alpha is, it's a great sycamore fig tree that you can climb up into and you can get a little bit of perspective on faith and on Jesus and what it all means so that you can make some informed decisions. And so I'm at this Alpha Supper and I speak about it. And afterwards, this one woman comes up to me and she says, I think I'd like to do Alpha. And I said, that's great. Tell me a story. She says, I work in a bar and um, I am... Uh, I'm going through a difficult time. My husband left me for another woman. I have two boys, and it's really, really hard being a single parent trying to bring up these boys. But I'm doing my best. But I just know there's something more out there. And, and so I want to do Alpha. But even now, can you pray for me? Can you pray that I, I find some kind of peace? She says, I feel so bitter. I feel so uh, broken in life. And so I say, sure, I'll pray for you. And I pray for her. And she signs up to do the Alpha course. A few weeks later, I'm back there in the church. I'm preaching Sunday morning. I see her. She's there. That's fantastic. At the end of the service, she comes up. She asks for prayer. She says, Philip, you remember me? I said, yeah. Uh, you're the woman. The bar, bar. Yeah, I remember. The boys. Yeah. She said, uh, will you pray for me? I said, sure. I said, how are you getting on in your faith journey? She said, oh, it's so, so good. I've started to pray. I believe that it's real, and I'm dedicating my life to Jesus. I said, that's absolutely fantastic. She said, yeah, but I'm still consumed with hurt and grief. I said, tell me about it. She says, look, my husband has now found this other woman, and he's married her, and it's so hard for me because my boys, they go and stay with her on the weekends. And I have them all the, the times, the normal times, and I'm working so hard and it's so difficult. But then they go to her and they've got a much nicer house and they pull out all the stops and they do all these amazing things and they have such a wonderful time. And then I come back and I just get the, the bad parts. And she said these words. She said, Philip, I feel so replaced. I hate this woman. 
She's younger than me. She's prettier than me. And now she's taking my children away from me. Would you pray for me? And I prayed. I'm not really great in these situations. I'm not very emotionally intelligent, as you probably can tell. Um, But I do my best, and I pray, Lord God, would you be with her? I go back to that church a few months later, and uh, same thing. I preach, and she's still there, and she comes up, and I can see her coming up for more prayer. And I'm thinking, I'm really not the person that can do this kind of thing. And to make it worse, she's now walking in with another woman. She's got moral support. I found it hard enough when it was just one crying woman on their own, but now it's two women Floods of tears crying, and just she's just being held up by this woman, and they kind of do like this three-legged walk up to the front of the church. And I'm like, please, God, help me. I, I don't know how to deal with this. My wife would be so much better at this stuff. She's, she's a caring person. I'm just the mouth. And, uh, but God, help me. And so I, I, I gird myself up, and I say, hey, hi, hi. How can I pray for you? She wipes the tears away. She said, oh, Philip, I, I don't want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for my friend. I said, oh, okay. We've got a friend now. This is great. It's multiplying. Uh, I, I said, what's the deal? And she said, oh, oh, my friend wants to become a Christian. Ah, this I can do. She said, yeah, this is my friend. And uh, we went to a, a Christian concert. I took her to a Christian concert last night. We went all the way to London. It was amazing. And uh, the Christian concert was like un, unlike anything she'd ever experienced before. And then afterwards, we're driving back and we're down the M form. We're talking, 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 talking about Jesus, talking about what he's done for me, talking about how he's given me hope, talking about how he's given me identity, talking about how he's changed my life. And she said at the end of it, I want this too. I want this too. She said, will you pray for me? We get to her door. It's 2.30 in the morning. We park the car outside her house. I take her hand and I prayed for her to become a Christian. But she said, oh, Philip, you know, I've not been a Christian for very long. And I thought, maybe I did it wrong or maybe I missed something. Would you pray for her so that you do it properly, so that she becomes a real Christian, like I've become a real Christian? And I said, sure, yeah. Um, Yeah, you, you sure you want me to do that? She said, of course, I want you to pray for her because you know all about her. And I said, I'm sorry, I've never met this woman before in my life. She said, oh, Philip, you must know, this is the woman I told you about. This is my ex-husband's new wife. And they grabbed onto each other, and they started to cry, and they embraced. And suddenly, it was like, oh, my goodness, what God does That here was a woman who hated the person that had replaced her. And yet somehow by the grace of God, all that hatred is gone. All that bitterness is gone. And all that grief and disappointment, it's still a challenge for her. And yet somehow God has done what only God can do. And Jesus calls this salvation. Salvation is not just being saved from your sins, but it's being saved to be who you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be full of grief and bitterness and resentment and anger and pain and hostility and aggression. You're supposed to be created in the image that God has for you. Pure, godly, merciful, gracious, full of lightness, full of generosity. Like Craig said in his story, I became a Christian and now I'm just more generous. I've become more me. That's salvation. I went back, I told my wife, hey, he left her. And then she came, and then she got uh, reconciled with the other woman. And isn't that amazing? And my wife said, yeah, that's amazing. You ever leave me, I won't forgive you. I'll cut both your legs off. (laughs) I said, fine, okay, noted. 
Zacchaeus is the greatest example that we can have. That Jesus says, I know you, I see you. You may think that God is remote, distant, far off, uninterested, on a cloud. You may feel like you've been just abandoned, left. Maybe you have a faith, but it's just taken such a beating because you feel like God is so far away. Or maybe you're on the outside, that you are somehow just away from faith. You've never considered it before. And you've always thought that God was not interested. And this story tells me that God has no greater interest than you. He wants to bring salvation into your life. And then Jesus ends it with this kicker. He says, salvation this day has come to this house. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is a story about a man that was looking for someone. And the man is Jesus. This is a story of a man who is searching passionately for something. And the man is Jesus. It's a story of someone who is seeking, who is looking, who is utterly, completely dedicated to going and finding those that are lost. The person that's looking for the lost is Jesus. Zacchaeus thought, oh, I'm the one that's searching. And then he found that Jesus had been searching for him all along. For many of you, you have that experience where you're looking for something, you're looking for meaning, you're looking for significance, you're looking for God if he's there, and you just need to know that as much as you look, God is looking for you. And as Zacchaeus was climbing a tree, Jesus was moving towards him. And as soon as Jesus sees him, he says, I know you, I've been looking for you, I've been searching for you. Zacchaeus says, but surely I'm the one looking for you. No, I know you, and I made you, and I created you. I was there when your parents named you pure. And I have been there every moment of your broken journey, every wrong turn, every act of evil and self-obsession. I have been through the good and I have been through the bad. And all the time I've been looking for you. And for so many of you here this evening, watching online, catching up, you need to know that God is looking, God is seeking, God is searching. And for some of you, you need to get up a tree and start looking for him. But for others of you, it's time to get down out of the tree because Jesus is calling you. Jesus wants to come. He wants intimacy with you. No longer part of a crowd, no longer an onlooker, but someone that's brought into a relationship with Jesus where people look at you and say, today, salvation has come to this house. Let's pray.